TG Taps. This is Joey Pasco sitting here, standing here actually, with uh, with Big Head Joe. Hi. He's my friend. I make music that makes your ears bleed. Apparently. Yeah, uh, I guess that's the first thing uh, we we just did want to mention. Last week, when I edited the episode, I um, edited it in sections. I had intended for each section to be its own separate download. So when I was listening to the songs, I was listening to them with the expectation that there was going to be loud music at the beginning of each thing that I hit play on, because that's just how things usually begin, is with music. I mean, you listen to the other podcasts, they all have like music going on, beginning of their podcasts, which is fine. But since it's at the beginning of the episode, you're expecting it, and you know what to do. But like... When it's just like all of a sudden you're listening to something and you hear my voice go, this is the end of blank section, and then it just, <laughs> music all of a sudden, it was just kind of like, ooh. So, yeah, so sorry for anybody uh, whose eardrums are, you know, bleeding or had been bleeding or any sort of scaring the crap out of you, like when you're listening to something at one volume and it just jumps. I don't understand how people can listen to podcasts, like, out loud at work, but if for some reason anyone was listening to the podcast out loud, I don't know, like, around 34 minutes and 36 seconds in, I apologize for the commercial. Um, <laughs> so, hold on Yeah, that was all Joe, except for the 37. That was the only thing that, that was my only input, was the, uh, the clerk reference. But it was a lovely reference. Okay. Um, so... Uh, I wanted to start off by mentioning that I have a petition online. I have a, my blog is otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com. I currently have a petition online calling for the banning of Bloodbraid Elf. Now, I don't know um, how successful this will be, and I don't know, like, you know, how popular this will be, but I don't care. Why, um, why not stir up some controversy, right? Hell yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the way I look at things. It's like, it's better that you talk about me than not talk about me at all. So uh, go online, sign the petition if you agree, read my blog if you want to read what I had to say about it. But anyway, th I think that kind of brings us to a really important point about... But Joe wants to be the Courtney Love of magic. No, I'm just kidding, guys. <laughs> What is that supposed to mean? With the controversy thing. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I was trying to find a break in there when you stopped When talking. I went to school. Oh. Uh, when I went to school. <laughs> no, but um, so I think that we should restate our position on Jund because I think we kind of gave people the wrong idea with a petition. I think we gave each other the wrong idea, too, yeah. about how much we didn't like this deck or did like this deck. Um. When I call for the banning of Bloodbraid Elf, it's not for myself. When I sit across from a deck and they go turn one Savage Lands, turn two Putrid Leech, if their second land doesn't come into play tapped, I'm just like, it's another deck I gotta play. I don't feel like that's a big deal to me. But I deal, I run uh, casual tournaments, which I know is an oxymoron, but I run casual tournaments at a store, and a lot of casual players come to these tournaments. Now, when a casual player sits down across from Jund, they feel like they're being cheated in a way, I, I feel. I mean, especially like in an F&M in a top eight, 
Like, those players can be really frustrated. They've spent time, like, crafting their own deck and making something that they feel is good, and then they sit across from, like, the stupidest deck in the format or the most mindless deck in terms of, like, playability. Right, mindless power, you know what I mean? It, yeah. it really, like, it doesn't... It doesn't take as much play skill. It's like a hammer, you know what I mean? It's just, it's good on its own without having to have really a whole lot of skill. Skill, of course, is uh, is a benefit. You know, it's, it doesn't hurt when you're playing the deck. And I'm not saying that people people that play Jund have less skill. I'm just saying the deck can be played by a player who has less skill, and it can be played successfully. It's true. I feel like if, but for me personally, I feel like if you bring a knife to a gunfight, you should expect to get shot in the face. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. That's just me. Like, right. So what are you? You're saying Jund I'm saying is the knife. Jund is the gun. Okay. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I mean, you should know what weapons you're bringing to whatever fight you're getting yourself into. Okay. I mean, but at the same time, people bring a knife to a knife fight, not expecting to see any guns, which I guess you could call the F and M. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that sort of fight. Or people, they're expecting to see more casual decks and a more variety of different decks. But I've seen players, like, literally consider quitting the game because they've had to play Jund in a top eight and lose. And that's frustrating to me to see players want to quit the game. Yeah, and I'm sure it's frustrating to Wizards, too. They wouldn't want to hear, you know, I'm sure they don't want to hear people are considering quitting the game because of the game itself. Right. You know, like, a player wants to quit because he can't, afford it or because of you know outside issues that's one thing but wanting to quit because of cards in the format and and you know at what is supposedly the basic level of the game maybe beyond the kitchen table fnm is supposed to be you know very you know the lowest starter level of the game and so. wizards is really trying to push fnms and is really trying to cultivate new players and trying to keep them around like they did with us 15 years ago exactly you know so that's what they're trying to do, and I feel like the Jund deck is very counterproductive to Wizards' own goals of what they want to see from new players. Right. You know, and so I so I feel like banning Bloodbraid Elf is the answer to slow Jund down and to bring it on to parity with the rest of the decks in the format. It's not that I don't like Jund. I personally really like Jund. I almost built Jund, you know, like fairly recently, and I don't mind the deck. I was playing it when it was Jund Mana Ramp. I mean, you know, I was running Mana Ramp back in the day, and I had no beef with it then, and I really have no beef with it now. It's just that I want to see casual players be able to thrive and to be able to become competitive players without being discouraged early on in their careers by these more competitive, easy-to-build decks. Right, and I and I think that's the Wizards is I think aware of that kind of thing, um, and they never want to create a deck that that does what Jund is currently doing. So Jund isn't necessarily the problem; it's just whatever happens to be the top deck and the most played deck that is the problem for these kind of casual players. Um, now, now that was you know I agree with with Joe's kind of analysis there. Um, I wanted to kind of say what fueled my my opinions on Jund. It's not Jund that I dislike exactly. It's I dislike when any deck at all is 33% of the field, even if it's one that I'm playing. It's not the specifics of the deck. It's just the popularity of a deck that kind of bothers me. I don't want to play a, a mirror match one out of every three games, even if I'm contributing to that 
you know, 33%. So any deck, I just don't like a format when any deck is going to take up a third of the field. Even a fifth of the field, which is apparently what fairies was, is a problem, and I did play fairies. But, uh, you know, Jund is obviously worse, in as far as numbers are concerned. And these numbers, I've, I got these numbers from Evan Irwin, so we're, it was for, like, a specific tournament. I think it was for states, actually. Okay. It was the, the numbers for states, Jund was about 33% of the field. So... You know, it could have gone down since then. It could have gone up since then. I have a feeling it went down because as time has gone on, people have started either getting sick of Jund, uh, sick of playing it, or finding ways to beat it. So I think that that's actually helping. But as far as, like, Jund itself, I don't really care that much about the deck. I just don't want any deck to be that dominant. And and that's another thing. When I say dominant, dominant and when I say something is the best deck, I don't really think there's a such thing as the best deck, but I use that term in general to mean the deck that most people believe is the best deck, and therefore most people are going to take that deck to the tournament, so it's going to show up in more numbers. Um, that's all. We just kind of wanted to address that because I think we might have come across as more... Uh, what, what is it? Whiners. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe as more whiners, yeah, and, and I don't think we intended to. I want to talk, I actually just want to, at the beginning of the episode for a change, I want to mention all the different millions of ways you can get in touch with us before we forget to do it by the time we get to the end of the episode and we're all fired up talking about our top 10 lists for World Week, which is the topic of today's uh, podcast. Exactly. So we have our uh, Twitter, which is essentially my Twitter, <laughs> that uh, Joe uses when he wants to announce things under the YoMTG Taps name, um, and it's twitter.com. Slash yo mtg taps. I also have Twitter. Uh, it's twitter.com slash affinity for blue. Um, that's B L U E, not B L E W, the Nirvana song. That's true, even though I like the song. Definitely both have an affinity <laughs> for blue. Um, as you would notice by your ears bleeding from that song going into part two of our last uh, podcast. We also have a voicemail line, which I don't know the number of. Um, I have it. This is a new feature, which I actually got this a couple of weeks ago and forgot entirely to announce it on the last podcast. So if you'd like to leave us a voicemail, maybe while we're talking and you go, wow, those guys are idiots. I really have to say something. You know, you just pause the podcast and call 1-331-MTG-TAPS. Or if you're in the Chicago area. No, we're not in Chicago, but 331 is apparently an Illinois zip code. I mean, uh, area code. Really? <laughs> so anyway, it's 331-MTG-TAPS. And uh, you can figure out what numbers are the equivalent because I don't have a phone in front of me to look at. <laughs> um but I thought it was pretty cool that we got that those you know those digits three three one MTG taps. So uh, give us a call, leave us a message, and we will play it on the show. We will play it on the show because I'm sure we're not going to have too many of these, so we'll have time to play them all. Also, we have a Facebook group which um, is under, kind of under construction. Yeah, under Yo MTG taps. I, it's so hard to like. Facebook sucks. I hate Facebook so much. And, like, Facebook groups to me just seem so silly, but we want one, and so we put one up, but, like, then I can never even find it on my own account. <laughs> I'm like, how do I even look at this stupid thing? I'm like, you know what? I'm not even going to bother. So I haven't really touched it much, but... We There's will... nothing on it right now. <laughs> there isn't really. There's a picture of us looking all fancy, and, like, that's about it. Yeah. But if you, you know... If you, for some reason, want to add us on the Facebook group, do yeah, it. Yeah, it's, it's cool because then, you know, I, I don't know, I just like to kind of have our fans on there. And if anybody wants to start some sort of topic, they can do that or, you know, bash us or something like that. They can yeah, do that. 
Just um, punch us in the face. Uh, in the Facebook. In the Facebook. <laughs> punch us in the Facebook. Sounds good. Um, and we do also have an email address. Email? What email. is this email you it's speak Electronic of? mail. Uh, which is yomtgtaps at gmail.com. Damn right. We have a YouTube <laughs> freaking yes, account. YouTube.com slash yomtgtaps. Um, we have too many damn ways to get in touch with us. Actually, the YouTube is kind of important because this Sunday, okay, Saturday I'm going to the regional pre-release at Shady Grove, yeah. University of Maryland, Shady Grove in Rockville, Maryland, and um, I'm going to be playing that day. Joe is not. Are you going to the Polar Bear Plunge? I, I believe I am. Awesome. Yeah. Aren't some Ravens players going to be there? Yeah, Joe Flacco is supposed to be Flacco's there. Flacco's going to be there? But he was there last year, and I never saw him. You better so. come back with a picture of you and Flacco. Well, that would be um, nice, but I, I just, I'm not going to worry about it too much. Or a picture of him in his sexy Speedo. Yeah. Um, although I heard that uh, Greg Oden uh, would be, well, he probably wouldn't even fit in a Speedo. Um, but anyway, <laughs> that's, that's uh, for another time. They were talking about that on the radio, so I don't feel bad talking about that on a podcast. Um, they said so many things about trouser snakes. And, and babies' arms with apples in their fists on the radio yesterday <laughs> that I couldn't even believe it. I'm like, how do they play this on the radio? Like, I don't know. Anyway, um, so if you haven't heard, Greg Oden had a picture leaked um, with uh, his full self, the full Monty, if you will, um, and apparently it's impressive. I haven't seen it, thank God, but there's a lot of guys on the, the radio who have been staring at it for days now. Um, but anyway, my point is Sunday, Joe is going, me and Joe are going down to Dream Wizards in Rockville, and we're, Joe is going to participate in the World Wake pre-release at Rock at Dream Wizards. Um, <clears throat> I'm not, because I'm poor, and I don't have the money to do it, but I want to go down there and trade and stuff. So my plan is, I'm going to go down there, and we're going to film Joe Cracking his packs for anyone who misses the pre-release and wants to live vicariously through us, and then like you Whatever know building his deck. However, we decide to do it. Right, we'll if, just we'll just have some video coverage of the pre-release. I guess that's a good way to say it because we're not exactly sure what we're going to end up getting, but that's the idea. I'm going to talk to the lady on Saturday and see if I can even film Joe playing in a match or something, and how we can arrange that. Right. Um, but if we can, we're going to get as much coverage as we possibly can fit on Joe's iPhone before it runs out of memory, and then we'll we'll bring it to you, and it'll be on our YouTube page. Um, um, do you still? I mean, I would think you still have your of Montreal shirt. Yes. Right. It's like a light blue. Is that right? It's actually pink. Oh, it's pink. Okay. So Joe will wear wear it. Wear it on Sunday. Okay. Or, right. You or you can wear it Saturday and Sunday because who the hell cares? I'm not going to change my clothes between Saturday and Sunday. I'm not even going to lie to you. So like, so, I'll be wearing a pink shirt all fucking pink, weekend. A pink of Montreal shirt, and I'll on Sunday put on my brown of Montreal shirt. So if you just see guys, if you're down there, I don't even know if we have that many If you see listeners. a dude in a pink shirt hovering over a dude in a brown shirt, we're not boyfriend and boyfriend. And we, <laughs> well, I no, just I, am interested in what he's cracking in his pack. I was trying to give people a way to identify us. Well, yeah, but that's what I'm know. saying. Yeah, no. Well, yeah, so we'll both wear of Montreal shirts. They're they're a popular band, but I've rarely seen anybody wearing an of Montreal t-shirt. So That's true. Uh, so there you go. That's a way to find us if you happen to be at either of the pre-releases. Um, Come find me in my lame pink shirt. Um, next, I want to talk about a contest we're going to do. Um, now, a while, I've, I've, been, I've been harping on this for a while on the podcast, um, at least mentioning it in several episodes. I wrote a rap for YoMTG Taps, right? And I wrote a verse, and I wrote the music and stuff, and 
I was waiting for Joe to write his verse. Well, Joe doesn't feel like writing his verse. Well, so, yeah, I just haven't gotten around to it, and I kind of thought, you know, instead of me writing it, why don't we have a contest where a listener writes it? So listeners can submit any kind of, you know, magic-related rap. For me, I, I'll rap it for our little MTG rap, you know? Yo, MTG raps. Yeah, yo, MTG taps, MTG rap. That's right. <laughs> That's good. So the UMTG Taps MTG Rap Contest, um, it's just pretty simple. Just submit us in a text file. You don't need to submit audio. In fact, please don't submit audio. Um, I kind of made the demo version of the song so that you can't really submit audio. Um, and I think that's for the betterment of our ears. Um, so just just write just something email down. Yeah, email, email us at yoMTGtaps at gmail.com. Don't put the at that I said at the beginning of that because you're not going to get us. And um, I said email us at yoMTGtaps oh, at gmail.com. <laughs> Email us your rap, and if we like it, we'll use it. If nobody submits one that we like, I'll just write it for Joe, and I'll win the contest, which isn't much of a prize for me because it means I get to be on something that I'm recording, which is not that special. So just submit us some raps so we can be lazy, and then we'll use it, and you'll get to hear your words out of our mouths, which is fantastic. It's kind of like what Michael J. Flores gets to do on a weekly basis. Go ahead and submit us some 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 raps. And um, actually, the rap, the, the music, and my verse is going to be cut into this podcast just before we begin our discussion on our 10 favorite cards from Worldwake. And it's not going to be uh, extremely loud um, as the music in the middle of our other podcast was. Right, so you'll get to hear the first half of the rap. You'll get to hear the first half of the rap and the music where your rap would fit. So then you can just write to that music. Speaking of music, um, I want to just make a special mention of the music that we're using at the beginning of this podcast. Um, the, the music we're using is um, for this episode is a Smashing Pumpkins song that was just released for free on the internet. And what's it called? Widow Wake My Mind? Yep. It's a great song. Tear Garden by Kaleidoscope is the new album by the Smashing Pumpkins. And what they're doing is they're releasing the album one song at a time for free on SmashingPumpkins.com. As they finish the songs, as they are completed, they release them. And this is the second song to be released from it. It's a really exciting project. The songs are great so far. Of course, we have two out of 40, so I'm sure there's going to be a couple crappy songs in there. But whatever. I mean, you know, Billy's a little self-indulgent, but that's okay. I mean, he's earned the right to be self-indulgent, kind of like Brett Favre. <laughs> Brett Favre can take all the time he wants at this point. He's a legend. So that's a great song, and if you want to hear that, if you want to download that song, you can go to smashingpumpkins.com and download it and a Song for a Son, which is the other song that they've released so far for free from their website. One more thing I want to talk about before we go into our discussion of our 10 favorite cards from World I, Week. I have, I have two things to talk about. Okay, well, that. let me just mention one more thing, and then because you, your stuff is a little more magic-related than mine. Yeah, okay. Or, or a little more World Week-related than mine. Right. Um, I just wanted to bring this up. I was looking for, because like I said, I run some casual events um, at the Amazing Spiral, or just Amazing Spiral, in the Rotunda Mall in Baltimore, Maryland, amazingspiral.com, plug, if I could say clom, dot clom, <laughs> dot Klondike bar. I was trying to come up with an exciting way to do a casual event for some newer, younger players, and for some people who just want to play in like less 
rigor, I mean, like a less stressful environment than a tournament setting. So I'm doing a magic league and I just wanted to bring this up because I just thought it was cool. I started a magic league and it's magic league season one, the battle for bigger cardboard. And um, what we're doing is I'm starting a multiplayer magic league and the sets that are legal in this league are everything from tempest forward that includes portal second age and portal three kingdoms it also includes unglued and unhinged so we're doing multiplayer the kicker is we're using plane chase as well so we're doing multiplayer plane chase unglued and unhinged and we're doing it a three-month league where it's going to be every other saturday um at 11 or at noon we start and each player who wins a game gets a promotional foil card if we have them around which we should by the time we start this league or hopefully soon after every person who wins three match or games gets um a pack a free pack of cards and then at the end of three months the person who has the most game wins gets our cardboard stand-up of Soren Markov, which I just thought was really fun. I thought it was, it, it, it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait to do it because I've been dying to play Plane Chase. I've been dying to play some more casual formats because Joe only ever wants to play Constructed Standard, which yeah, is fine. Pretty much. I mean, it's just fine, but like I've also at the same time, and plus I run Standard tournaments and I attend Standard tournaments. I almost never play other formats other than Standard except for pre-release time and release events then of course i'm playing limited i'm playing sealed mostly i don't even play booster drafts that much limited resources um episode 17 i believe i was just listening to that today and they were kind of bashing the other podcasts and blogs that only talk about new cards from a constructed standard standpoint and I, they have a good point. They really do. I, I'm, I'm, I, I, and bashing's a little too harsh than what they were actually saying. But if they were talking about us, I just want to stress that me and Joe really only play standard. Um, we play limited at pre-releases, at launch parties, and like that's basically it. So yeah, like if we very rarely otherwise. So if we kind of have skewed opinions on what's good and limited, that's my apologies because we just really don't know that much. Like limited's like a, a treat. You I know? thought I thought anything that's bad and constructed is good and limited, isn't that? <laughs> that's what I've been. That's, that's like, actually a hundred percent true. That's what I thought. The premise that I've been going on for the last fifteen years was um was that. Yeah, well, fact, Shivan Dragon beats Baneslayer Angel too. It's five five. Yeah, exactly. And it's yeah, a dragon, which means it's so much bigger and stronger than an angel. Ugh, angels are wussies compared to dragons. So, yeah, exactly. Now, did you want to continue with that? Or... No, that okay. was all I had to say. More okay. than I, I, just, I, to say. I just had to say this because while Joe was talking about the Magic League, I happened to look at Twitter and referencing our last episode, he wasn't referencing it, but I am now. Um, we saw talking about the wolf shirts. Well, Kelly Reed just tweeted an article from Geekosystem.com about wolf shirts. You're checking Twitter while we're podcasting? Yes. <laughs> you addict. Uh, the, the article is, Three Wolf Moon Embraced by New Hampshire Government. Every, CE <laughs> Every CEO should be wearing this shirt. Three Wolf Moon t-shirts. They will help you fly and grow reinforced bones. Their wearers gain 250 pounds of muscle and the ability to see and hear for miles. 
and they are now powering New Hampshire's economy. That last, <laughs> that last part is actually true. The Mountain, the t-shirt company behind the ironic, iconic shirt, has done so well in the wake of its unexpected Amazon success that a state agency has designated the Three Wolf Moon shirt the official t-shirt of New Hampshire Economic Development. So anyway, sorry for that little interruption, but I had to mention it because that was just very odd. I haven't seen anybody reference wolf shirts besides us. And Kelly Reed just tweeted about it. So <laughs> if you want to look for that article, it's on geekosystem.com. Um, I think I might be podcasting by myself for the rest of this episode. I'm going to have to put Joe outside so he can finish laughing. I just like left the room and I probably still blew out the fucking thing. I think you probably did. So, okay, on to some World Wake topics. When I, uh... So anyway, um, if you haven't heard... There is a card in World Wake, which is actually a misprint. It's already receiving errata. Um, this card had a little bit of controversy on it this week after it was kind of unofficially spoiled. Um, people were kind of questioning it. Um, the card, as printed and as spoiled, is a is Walking Atlas. It's a two casting cost, one one creature construct with the ability tap. You may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield. Uh, it's a common. Now. It costs two colorless mana, but it was not printed as an artifact creature. It was just a creature construct. So at first, it looks like this is a colorless creature that's not an artifact, a colorless non-artifact creature, which we've never seen before in the game. Um, the card frame looks just like an artifact creature, so I thought that was a pretty bad idea. I mean, when it was first spoiled, people thought, oh, it had to be, you know, spoiled wrong. But uh, it was translated from a Russian card, but people kept uh, kept saying, no, this is this is what it says. You know, in Russian, there is no, you know, no indication that this is an artifact. So I said, you know, people are going to end up being confused. They're going to play naturalize on this. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was pretty crazy. Well, as it turns out, the, uh, the World Wake Frequently Asked Questions document was released last night, and... Walking Atlas is indeed an artifact creature. Um, it's receiving errata. So you can naturalize it if you'd like. Or disenchant it, depending on how far back your format goes. So uh, I just wanted to mention that. I thought that was interesting. And then an another um, another thing about last episode. Uh, we talked a little bit about Dragon Master Outcast, which we kind of bashed it. None of us really liked it. Mike Flores on his blog... Um, wrote a little about it, and he seems to like it. He thinks it, it's going to be good. Um, his point is being able to search it up with Ranger of Eos. Um, if, if you don't remember, let me actually read what the card does. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1 red, creature, human, shaman, and it's a mythic rare. At the beginning of your upkeep, if you control 6 or more lands, put a 5-5 five, five red dragon creature token with flying onto the battlefield. So, I mean, I can understand it's kind of you know, an interesting card. It's a 1-1 one, one for 1, which isn't exciting, but its ability pops out 5-5s five for as long as it's on the battlefield, you know, and you have 6 lands. So I can see, you know, the appeal, but to me, my problem with it is that it's basically, you know, a Mons Goblin Raiders, which is a terrible card, 
you know, at least for standard. Until you have six lands, that's what it is. It's a one-one for one. It might as well just cost six on its own. Unless you're playing ramp, you're not going to get anything out of this card until turn seven. So where I can see the advantages of it as like a one-of that you tutor for with Ranger of Eos, or as a one-of that you might draw, you know, you maybe draw it, maybe not. I think realistically, if you play this card, you have to think of it as being a six-drop on your curve. Uh, you can play it earlier, obviously, if you want. Um, so that is an advantage. I just don't really consider that much of an advantage, and I don't know if it's worth the card slot in your deck. Um, so I just kind of wanted to maybe clarify my opinion on that, because it could be good, and I could definitely be wrong, but I think last week we just, you know, bashed it and didn't really talk about why, you know, or at least we didn't... Or even, like, expound on how it could possibly be good. Right, exactly. So, and, and since that is, you know, a card that people seem to be talking about, I wanted to mention it. Um, a little more seriously, because I think we were also laughing at it. So um, now we on to our main topic. Okay, so here comes that wrap. This is just a demo, just to kind of give you an idea. And then we'll be back with our main topic, and which we'll be is back with our main topic. Our top ten World Wake cards. Word, homie. Yo, MPG taps. 2010 to whenever they stop making these damn cards. When it comes to palings, I'm more like Michael Bustair. So many bad puns that I might start to scare you. And I don't care what death lists are in both. If you see me at an epidemic screen, go and rope. Got two things on my mind, man, magic effect. Got my game up on the one, but you'll play tier one deck. As far as the latter goes, see the former. The common thread between them, I'm an underperformer. But like I'm Nixilis, I'm getting back my spark. We do most of these podcasts in Rosedale Park. I'm Big Head Joe, equal parts bite and bark. And I've been playing this game since it's soul packed in the dark. I went from mono green to a villain theme. Currently, I'm running the sick as five to see built the world is but I gotta back it up, man. I can't just crap hard. Search a library, activated my trap card. OMTG taps coming straight out of Rosedale. We're succeeding where our foes fail. So put your scoops on a loop because we got sick beats. Leave your deckless in the basement. We'll take ours to the streets. OMTG taps coming straight out of Rosedale. We're succeeding where our foes fail. So put your scoops on a loop because we got sick beats. Leave your deckless in the basement. We'll take ours to the streets. You're a rap here. You're a rap here. You're a rap here. Put your rap here. Your rap goes right about here. Put your rap here. And we might put it here. And we're back. 
we are back. That was really quick. I didn't even hear it. I know. It was magical. It was like a second. It was like we just like stopped and then started talking again. Magical like the iPad. Yeah, the iPad. I, I just read about that on the... Everyone kept talking about that on Twitter yesterday, <laughs> and I was like... Why are people talking about, like, why are people talking like they're from fucking Boston, Boston or something? Yeah. Like, it's a fucking iPad. You on the same farm? But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, I came back from Ireland and flew into Boston, and uh, a security guy kind of called me over, and myself and my girlfriend, he called us over, and he asked, you know, where are you coming from? And we are like, Ireland. And he said, you on the same farm? And we're like, farm? What? We weren't on farms. Like, what did he? Mean? He was, he was saying form something about our, you know, our, our customs form. But we were both like, what? Farm? So <laughs> Luckily, I, so I we, we figured it out pretty quickly. But it was kind of odd. Well, it took me a whole day to figure out what they were talking about with the iPad, because um, <laughs> I was actually walking to the uh, Royal Farms this morning. And if you don't have Royal Farms around you, you're not as cool as us. And um, I look over at the uh, free paper bin and it said introducing the ipad and i was like they weren't kidding like i was like i just like checked it out of the corner of my eye on the way out i'm like i'm gonna look at that closer on the way back came back and grabbed one and sure enough it was talking about the ipad Ah, it looks like a giant it's a giant iphone screen it's very it's awesome i have one that fits in my pocket and if i wanted to carry on a laptop i'll carry on a laptop so to me like it's great and somebody wants to give me one awesome but i don't really see myself uh, buying it, it has no market because anybody that has, anybody that wants a portable version of that, I mean, I guess it's a cheap Apple laptop kind of if you want to think of it that way, but I don't think it has the power to like run things like Final Cut Pro and and Photoshop multitask. and things like that, right? It doesn't it, multitask like uh, right, like other smartphones do, like right. other giant smartphones. Other giant smartphones, I guess they uh. I guess they, they cornered, uh, cornered the, market. the market on giant, giant smartphones. smartphones. Right, essentially. So, yeah, let's go into magic talk now. Okay, so let's go into it. Okay. Um, so uh, here's my, my top ten World Wake cards. And we'll discuss each one individually. Number ten, Amulet of Vigor. Amulet of Vigor, which is the one casting cost artifact that says, whenever a permanent enters the battlefield tapped and under your control, untap it. Um, I think this is a really interesting card. It obviously... Seems like kind of a card that you can build around. It's kind of odd because essentially it costs, the fact that it costs one makes you have to play a land tapped anyway. Like if you think of it as, you know, you play an island, for instance, and you tap it for the Amulet of Vigor, well, your land just came into play tapped, essentially. But, you know, any subsequent lands will come into play untapped. The beef I had with it at first was that multiples seemed like they'd be useless because you have one on the battlefield and, um, you know, there's no reason, you know, when you draw any further ones in your deck, you're going to kind of be stuck there with no additional benefit. Um, However, I found out last night that um, there might be a way to kind of break this card because multiples will actually trigger separately. So if you have two in play and you play, say, a Crumbling Necropolis, uh, both triggers will happen, meaning, you know, both cards will say, untap the Crumbling Necropolis. So, you can untap the Crumbling Necropolis, tap it for mana before the second trigger resolves, and then let the second trigger resolve, untapping it again, which generates one mana. So, basically, um, you can get, you know, the more amulets you have in play, you can actually generate free mana. So if you have four in play, you're generating three mana 
every tapped land you play, and that's leaving it untapped because there's four triggers, right? So you're, you're untapping it, and you generate a mana in between each trigger, right? Uh, so you'd have one, two, three, and then after the fourth trigger, you, it leaves it untapped. So you generate three free mana. That's pretty nuts. I loved this card before becoming aware of this uh, possibility, mostly just because I really liked the fact that it enabled things like like five color control or like this enabled interesting deck choices like being able to play a bunch of the tri lands or being able to play a deck with like 20 man lands or something crazy like that yeah. you know i really liked that aspect of it you know multiple copies being dead be damned um i, I was kind of like i understand what you're saying i will take the risk because i really want to make you know, a deck that's running a bunch of these tap lands a turn faster because of the possibilities and the options, you know, for building decks. Um, knowing that this, I mean, once I get this confirmed, that the triggers uh, happen separately. Is this is this like a fact or is this? Uh, like... Yeah, I think so. Hold on a second. I have the um, FAQ actually right here. So from the FAQ, just to clarify, if you control more than one Amulet of Vigor, each Amulet's ability triggers when a permanent enters the battlefield tapped and under your control. The first ability that resolves will untap that permanent. If the permanent somehow becomes somehow. tapped again, yes, yeah, somehow were to become tapped again before the next ability resolves, the next ability will untap it as well, and so on. For amulet abilities, for amulet of vigor's ability to trigger, a permanent must enter the battlefield tapped due to an effect that says put the permanent onto the battlefield tapped. This permanent enter to, enters the battlefield tapped, or the like. If it enters the battlefield untapped, the ability won't trigger even if you tap that permanent afterward, which makes sense. It has to come into play tapped or enter the battlefield tapped. Uh, it can't just come into play. You can't play an island and hurry up and tap it. You know, hurry up before it notices I came into play untapped. <laughs> the amulet will think I came into play tapped. So um, anyway, that's actually an official ruling from the uh, FAQ. So that's fantastic. And yeah. now I'm... God, has, has, has the price gone up on that card at all? I haven't looked, and I can't because I don't have internet right now. But. Right. Uh, that's one more thing I wanted to mention. Included in the show notes of this episode, there's going to be a list. It's just going to be pulled from StarCityGames.com's pre-sale prices, but it's basically a price guide to your World Wake pre-release. So it's something just simple that you can print out and take with you if you don't have a fancy smartphone or something like myself, and you just need something to give you an idea of what the prices are. You're not a fancy smartphone. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Um, <laughs> uh, but I just felt like it's a, it's a useful thing, because Joe always prints up these lists for us. I explained this in the last episode. Joe always prints up lists for us for the pre-releases, just kind of what things are going for on eBay. And that's great. But I personally look at Star City games when I'm doing trade values, and a lot of people just pull up Star City on their on their Blackberries or iPhones for trade values. So I figure that a like a short list of just what are the most expensive cards, you know, what are the cards that are are worth anything, just so you don't go to the pre-release and get yourself gypped, you know. So that's just kind of give you an idea of what things are going for and what to value your cards at. So good call. Yeah. So, so that's going to be in the show notes. I don't want to talk too much on it, but I figured it would be just a useful tool, just a little added bonus to the episode for, for our loyal listeners. All right. So my number nine world weight card is Halimar Depths. It's the blue common land. Halimar Depths enters the battlefield tapped. You can tap it to add a blue to your mana pool. 
when Halimar Depths enters the battlefield, look at the top three cards of your library and put them back in any order. So it's sort of like a, um, a ponder kind of effect. You don't get to draw a card off of it, but I really like it because I just like the... It's basically an island with library manipulation on it. Um, and, I mean, in a deck that that's monocolor or dual color um, that can afford to run some comes-into-play tapped lands because it's not playing a billion other comes-into-play tapped lands, or if maybe it's running a card like Amulet of Vigor, you kind of get this free effect that, that can definitely help. And I, I just, you know, being a lover of blue control, I think um, being able to take a look at the top three cards and either fix my mana or, you know, get get something... Uh, you or know, set yourself up for a wicked treasure hunt. Right, set, set yourself up for treasure hunt, um, you know, get to the card, get to the business spell that you need, and uh, or also look at the top three and go, these suck, crack my fetch land, you know, things like that. So um, definitely, uh, I, I just think it's an interesting card, and I, I like that. Um, number eight is Basilisk Collar which I, I kind of looked at it and thought, wow, it's kind of like a fixed Umazawa's Jite. Like, um, uh, let me read it really quick. It's um, Basilisk Collar is an artifact equipment. It costs one. It's a rare. Equipped creature has Death Touch and Lifelink, and you equip it for two colorless. So, I mean, to me, it's pretty cheap reusable removal that also gains you life. As long as you've got a blocker, I mean, you don't even, you can obviously attack with the creature too, but the way I look at it is you sit there with a, a blocker in play that's equipped with it with this, and, you know, I know when I'm sitting across from a Death Touch creature, I don't really like to attack into it. So, um, and, you know, and the fact that it's got lifelink is just an extra bonus. I mean, it seems so cheap to me. Like, I just think it's an interesting card. So uh, I, I just think it's an interesting card, and I don't know if it's going to be anything big and standard, but I think it's a neat neat effect, and uh, and the fact that it's cheap. Because we've seen, like, kind of, interesting effects or, or even just basic effects on equipment before and it would be like three to play it and five to equip it and it's like come on i nobody's ever going to play this this costs you know eight mana just to get anything nobody's out of it. ever going to play grappling hook yeah grappling hook exactly <laughs> or the worst card ever the boomerang oh god that yeah that is terrible like i mean i was like at first i was like why is everyone being so like like mean about this card and then i like read it and i was like oh my god it costs five mana for one damage and then you five to... mana every one damage you do with it yeah Ra like let, a... let's just read that really quick Ra yeah. in case anybody doesn't know razor boomerang is an artifact equipment costs three to play and the equipped creature has tap unattached razor boomerang razor boomerang deals one damage to target creature or player Return Razor Boomerang to its owner's hand, and the equipped cost is two. So you got to pay three, you got to pay two to equip it, and then if the creature doesn't have summoning sickness, you have you tap your creature, remove it, and return it to your hand, and you get one damage out of that, out of that entire exchange of resources. Would you pay one red and four, and the the spell says as an as an additional cost? to cast this spell, tap target creature you control... That doesn't have summoning sickness. That doesn't, yeah, <laughs> tap target creature you, you control that came into play since your last turn ended, or something like that, yeah, and then it just says, deals yeah, one damage to target, target creature or player. <laughs> it's terrible. You would be like, are you kidding me? I think I'm going to rip up every copy of Razor Boomerang I get in any of my uh, sealed pool. It's an uncommon. I mean, it's not even... 
I'm gonna get two foils probably in the same oh pack or something. Oh my god, it's not even worth playing in like sealed or 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 any or booster draft. It's not worth anything. Like that is like, I don't know. I think it's just the worst card ever printed. I know I was. It's pretty a little, bad. I mean, it's it I was is, a does harsh. do damage. So I was a little harsh to the uh, red pinger guy after after I said it after the words came out of my mouth and you guys like said something to me, I felt kind of stupid for even being mean about it. Because it's, it, it's a fine card, and it's a great card um, in, in Limited. You know? Maybe. <laughs> if, it's, if it's not good enough for Constructed, apparently it's good, great in Limited. Exactly. But, but this card, that card, is Razor Boomerang, is so bad. I want anyone who can think of a card that is worse than Razor Boomerang, and it's probably one of the cards from, like, um, Legions, but um, email that card to us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com, because I'd be curious just to hear what cards you honestly think are worse than Razor Boomerang. Or just make a case for Razor Boomerang. I'd like to hear one. Sure. So, so my number seven card, let's just get, I know we keep getting hung up on... Yeah. Tangents. Um, my number seven card is actually Wolfbriar Elemental, which to me is kind of like everything I ever wanted in green. A, a four four for four is just like classic green. Let me read what it does. It's uh, it's a four four for four. Now it's, it's a four four for uh, two green and two colorless creature elemental. It's a rare. It has multi kicker of one green. When Wolfbriar Elemental enters the battlefield, put a two two green wolf creature token onto the battlefield for each time it was kicked. You may not be wearing a wolf shirt when you play this ability. I, I added that part. So um, there was a guy wearing a wolf shirt at FNM uh, at, awesome. on Sunday when I was there. It's awesome and awful. I had to try thing. really hard to not like just straight up say something about it. Um, so, so yeah, I just think to me like I love this. It's just a four four for for four mana to me is like totally green. That's when I think of green, I think of creatures. I think of four for four fours that cost four. I don't really know why. Like rampaging Bailoff. That to me is green, and the fact that if you've got extra mana and you, you know, mean ravenous bailoff, did what did I say? Rampaging. Oh, okay. I did mean ravenous bailoff. The uh, the fact that if you have extra mana and in a green deck you're likely to, um, I mean I guess it depends on when you draw them, but y you know you can put out two two bears or wolves. As no, the don't case don't, may don't be. say bears. <laughs> okay. They're freaking wolves, man. Well, they're wolf wolves in the shape of bears. Green wolves, two, two wolves. Exactly. So uh, I guess they're not they're not bears because they don't cost two. They cost one. Damn right. So, they anyway, do. I just thought it was a really neat card. I really like that. I really like that card too, and I had a lot of trouble uh, taking it off my list, but I it's not on my list. But I, it, it is it is like number eleven. I'm yeah. going. To, it's going to be like even I'm not going to be picking up Eye of Eugene, uh, <laughs> but I am going to be picking up four of those uh, tomorrow or Saturday for sure if I can. Because I love that card. I don't love Eye of Eugene or... Joe keeps ref referencing Eugene because it's his 10th card. Uh, it's his number 10, which will... It's a little spoiler. Spoiler alert. Joe's 10th favorite card is Eye of Eugene. Eugen, I, I think or there's Eugene, so many Joe. great, dirty ways to pronounce that card. Um, okay, so my number 6 card is another green one. Explore, which, uh, if you haven't heard, is a sorcery for one green and one colorless. Common. You may play an additional land this turn. Draw a card. Uh, wow, it's just so clean. Such a simple, clean design. You you get some uh, acceleration out of it. It's a cantrip. Uh, it's kind of um, some people have said it's you know everything that ramp uh, what is it rampant growth wants to be. Right. 
Um, time walk. You do. Green. It, it does seem like a time walk in green because you know you're you're playing an extra land, which is like a whole extra turn, and you're drawing an extra card, which is another you know turn kind of thing. It's very time walky, um, and I love that it doesn't say put a land from your hand onto the battlefield, draw a card because I, you don't have to have the land in your hand to do it. You don't have to draw the land, but you can even do that. You can end up drawing the card, and if that's a land, you can play it. You can play that land at any point during your turn, you know, when you could normally play a land. Yeah, I, I read the card a little caref more carefully when I was putting my list together, mm -hmm. um, and that's exactly right. You can draw the land and play the land that you drew off of Explore. It doesn't have to be at that very moment. Right, and I think that's great. I mean, you don't even have to have played any lands. You can play Explore, and, you know, you basically have... You can play two lands that turn whenever you happen to decide to do it, if you happen to do it, or if you want to do it. I just think it's neat that it kind of just gives you the option, and even if you don't have a land, it's a cycler, essentially. It's a sorcery speed cycling uh, card. You can just draw draw a card, basically. Yep. So, uh, number five, Comet Storm, which we talked about a lot. I, I love the card. Uh, I think an instant speed sweeper, as, uh, as Tim said last week, it's great versus the man lands. Instant speed removal is going to be important if the man lands show up in tournaments, and I think they will. Man lands always show up. Yeah, they always do. And that's why I think that Flores is onto something with the Dragon Speaker Shaman. Wait a minute. Dragon, Dragon, Dragon Master Outcast? Dragon Speaker Shamans from <laughs> like, Scourge. Yeah, I was like, um, But no, with the Dragon Master Outcast, because just like Manlands almost always show up, any card that produces tokens almost always shows up at some point in Standard. I don't know. It's just one of those things that someone's like, well, I haven't tried this yet. Let me try that. Holy crap, it's great. Like, it's always, right. I don't know, it's usually always great at some point. I don't know. Like, I mean, for some reason, Sprouting Thrynax wasn't being played for, like, I played that in the pre-release, and I was like, this card is so good. I just remember playing with it and being like, this is neat, and then I just didn't. And play. nobody played it for, like, six months or well, something. Well, it was because Lorwyn was still around. That's why. I True. It's just too much to deal with. Just just in case you don't know what Comet Storm does, I'll try to read it really oh, quick. Oh, everybody knows what it does. Two red and X for a mythic rare instant multi-kicker of one colorless. Uh, choose target creature or player. Then choose another target creature or player for each time Comet Storm was kicked. Comet Storm then deals X damage to each of them. So, you know, if, if X is 4 and you pay an extra, you know, 1, you get you can deal 4 damage to 2 targets. You know, it, it, you can kind of divide. You don't even have to divide the damage. You just pay an extra for each target that you want to hit. So I think uh, I think it's a neat card. I still just don't think it should be Mythic. And I'm going to say that every time I mention for Comet some, Storm, I think. Well, you know, I, uh, it's not that bad as Mythic. I feel like now I'm... I'm used to it now. But. I don't care, personally, that it's Mythic, but the thing that just drives me nuts is there's a card in green that is the... Like, in terms of, like, not what it does, mm -hmm. but how you pay for it, and then, like, its wording is almost identical to Comet Storm, and that card is a is a rare. Do you know yeah. what I'm talking about? Is it in World Wake? Yeah, go down to green. I'm going to go down to green here. We have... There. Strength, strength of the Tajuru is... Two, this might sound familiar. Right. Is two green and an X. It's an instant. It's a rare. It has multi-kicker of one. Choose target creature, then choose another target creature for each time strength of the Tajuru was kicked. Put X plus one plus one counters on each of them. Wow. I totally, like, when I read that, I just was, I kind of skimmed it. Like, why? But you're right. It's, it's, a, it's Comet Storm as a rare in green, and instead of damage, it puts plus one plus one counters. Right? I mean, so how come that's not mythic? I mean, like, 
I feel like choose one. Like, right, like right. Comet Storm and Strength of the Tajuru should be both either rare or mythic rare. I wouldn't care either way. It just right. seems be really consistent. weird. Be consistent. That's what we're asking it for. It seems woefully inconsistent. Yeah. It just seems really strange. I mean, whatever. I don't care, you know? Like, and that's my biggest problem. Strength with of the myth. Tajuru won't be in my Mythic Rare slot ever when I open a pack. You can open way more of those. <laughs> well, that's true, too. So, uh, speaking of Manlands, like we were a few minutes ago. Oh, wow. Well, we can talk for a few minutes, huh? <laughs> uh, you know. Uh, my number four cards. I actually kind of cheated here. I, I chose... You can. I can... I guess say all the manlands, but really the two that I like the most are Celestial Colonnade and Creeping Tar Pit, probably because they're the blue ones. But uh, Celestial Colonnade is a blue-white land that comes into play tapped, and for three colorless, a blue and a white, you can make it into a Sarah Angel. It's a 4-4 flying vigilant. Um, I like Sarah Angel. I think it would be awesome to have Sarah Angel on a land, so that's pretty awesome. Um, Creeping Tar Pit is the comes into play tapped at a black or a blue, and um, for one colorless, a black and a blue, you get a I believe it's a three-two three two. unblockable creature. I think uh, you know in a control deck, even though you can't exactly, you have to protect it. It, can, it doesn't have shroud. I was hoping there would be a land with shroud. That would be pretty neat. But um, the uh, you know you have to protect the creature, but it, you know for three mana or four if you count the land which is going to be attacking. Every turn, three unblockable damage. I mean, it's great if you have a deck that can just stall and just sit there and keep attacking and and uh, while you just hold the other player to doing nothing or doing very little. Uh, so I, I think that fits perfectly, like, in a control deck. But I think it can go in an aggro deck as well. Just These manlands are just so versatile because they, they're additional threats for aggro decks, um, and they're... They're threats, or additional threats for control decks too, I guess. I mean, it's, they're just uh, really good kind of anywhere you want to put them. The only drawback is that they come into play tapped, so you just have to watch how many come into play tapped lands you end up putting in your deck, or else you're going to be a turn behind everybody, unless you play Amulet of Vigor. So, you know, something to think about. Um, number three, Everflowing Chalice, or Mother Loving Chalice, as they called it on uh, Top 8 Magic Podcast. Um, this card, it's so... Um, it's. <laughs> Kind of basic, it's not very exciting, but I'm pretty excited about it. It's a zero casting cost artifact with multi-kicker of two. Everflowing Chalice enters the battlefield with a charge counter on it for each time it was kicked. Um, and you tap it to add one to your mana pool for each charge counter on Everflowing Chalice. So for two mana, you get a signet. You know, it adds one colorless. It's, it's the kind of a signet, it's kind of a... It's a mind stone that you can't sacrifice to draw a card. But for four mana, you kind of have a soul ring. Expensive soul ring. Sisse's ring. Sisse's ring, yeah, it's exactly. Um, and there's another one, too. I forgot. But uh, anyway, you, you can kind of, later in the game, when you have more mana available, you can play this for, uh, you know, for a little bit more. But I'm excited because I can play a turn three Jace the Mind Sculptor, which normally I'd be playing turn three Jace Bellerin. But now I can play the new Jace on the same turn as the old Jace. That's pretty cool. I can play a turn three Ajani Vengeance. I can play a turn three Day of Judgment. Um, in a control deck, I think Everflowing Chalice is just... I think this is something that's really going to help out control decks, just to give that extra turn of acceleration to decks that are typically slow or that need to be playing lands that come into play tapped to kind of uh, get that turn back in a way. Although, you know, you're probably spending a turn casting it, but... I think it's just going to be a big help to control decks, and I'm really excited. And the artwork is fantastic for it. 
Um, Great card. Yeah. Um, doesn't say who the artwork is by. That sucks. Click on the picture. I can't because I don't have internet. Oh, that's right. <laughs> My, I have the. Uh, I have no internet right now because I just moved. Um, so I'm looking at the MTG Salvation World Wake spoiler page, which I loaded earlier when I was at work. So. Um, can't actually click any of these links. So uh, my number two card, which shouldn't come as too much of a surprise, is Treasure Hunt, which I think is one of the best card draw spells in a long time. Um, it's got, let's see, it's a sorcery for one blue, one colorless. It's a common. Reveal cards from the top of your library until you reveal a non-land card, and then put all cards revealed this way into your hand. Success! Yeah, so I'm excited. I wish it was an instant, but who... I wish it, you know, just drew all the... You know, drew, drew ten cards if it was an instant for one. That would be nice, too. But, um... <laughs> who cares? No, no, awesome. it doesn't matter. It's I know, I know. really exciting. Um, it draws you into, uh, into a spell when you don't need lands. But, you know, if you have lands on top, you get them. So, you know, if you play, for instance, uh... Sphinx of Lost Truths, maybe you have some extra lands to discard in your hand, or, you know, anything. It's just the fact that, along with something like Halimar Depths, which can manipulate the top of your library, or Jace the Mind Sculptor, which can manipulate the top of your library, or Ponder, which can manipulate the top of your library, with those kind of cards to help things along, you know, as far as seeing what's on top. Sphinx of Dwar Isle, you can look on top and see if it's a land or a spell, and uh, play your treasure hunt accordingly. Um, this card is, you know, Pat Chapin, Pat Chapin did the math in one of his recent articles and said essentially that Treasure Hunt will, on average, draw you 1.75 cards. Which, you know, there's going to be times when it just draws one, it just replaces itself, but there's going to be times when it draws multiples. And I've, uh, I've just... been testing with it. I, I've been running main deck Relic of Progenitus because I'm running a Grixis control deck right now, and there's a lot of discard strategy in the deck. It's not necessarily a discard deck, it just happens to make you discard a lot of cards over the course of a game. So with me playing Jace Bellerin, I felt I've always, when I play it, when I would run it out there, I always felt like making my opponent draw a card was kind of counterproductive. So I've been playing Jace for three mana, drawing a card off of it, and then almost every time it just gets bolted for one mana, and I wasn't happy with the trade-off there. That's because you're playing him wrong. I don't think I am. Um, <laughs> so I was running main deck Relic of Progenitus because every once in a while, it was like I, I, when, I, when I sat across from an Emiria deck round two and dropped my main deck Relic of Progenitus game one, they were like, oh, crap. Of course, I didn't play the Relic conservative enough, and uh, they had a Baneslayer in the graveyard, and I had two Relics in my graveyard, which was lovely. Um, or two Relics exile, but you know what I mean. So the deck's been together at like that, and I obviously don't have Worldweight cards yet, so I've just been pretending in my goldfishing sessions that I had tend to be hours long now with the introduction of Sports Radio 105.7 The Fan, just that I've been listening to for the last like three days straight, um, with the exception of listening to Obama's State of the Union address last night. Point is, <laughs> I've been running the treasure hunts, or I've been pretending that the relics are treasure hunts when I'm goldfishing. And yes, a lot of times they do just draw you one card, but I've had certain games where I'll pay two for it and it'll draw me four cards. And I'm just like, man, this card is the balls. I love it. I think it's great. Um, it's gonna, it's so good. It's an automatic four of, I think, in any deck that's running blue. Um, it's such a great card. It's just 
it's just so valuable. Yeah, I don't it's going to make a big impact, I think. Um, I agree. 100%. So, and, and it, it works right along with my number one, which is Jace the Mind Sculptor. Not a surprise to anybody who listens or knows me at all. Um, uh, this card, I'm like so... I'm getting a case of Worldwake, and I'm so paranoid that I'm not going to pull a playset of Jace. I just decided to buy a playset of Jace, and then I'll sell or trade away whatever Jaces I get in the in the case. Because I that's the one card in Worldwake that I definitely want four of, if not eight of, if I end up building multiple decks and don't feel like switching them out. But, uh, yeah, I, like I don't know. Like you often do. Yeah, that happens. So, uh, yeah, it's just... I can't wait to use Brainstorm in Standard. I can't wait to just use this card. Um, I hope it doesn't disappoint me. But with some of the other, some of the help that Blue Decks seem to have gotten with this, uh, with this set, even though we didn't get a very versatile counterspell, um, we got a lot of library manipulation, and I think that's going to really make a difference. Um, so I'm, I just can't wait to play with this card. Um, Real quick, uh, speaking of what I just saying about Blue, Conley Woods put up an article called um, Blue Uprising. That's what it's called. Um, I read it and realized I was reading straight from my own brain. It was essentially a, a blog that I was going to do. Um, Conley did it way better. So instead of me writing it, I just put, posted it on my blog, which you can see at affinityforislands.com. I basically said... Conley put this better than I could ever have, but it's a really interesting article about Blue and what Blue got out of Worldwake and how it's kind of going to make a difference for, for Blue Deck. So I think you should check that out. Um, can I like go ahead? What were you say? Can I just mention real quick? As far as Jace Mind Sculptor goes, Jace Mind Sculptor is not on my list, but I think it's a good card. Um, just because you hate Blue. I don't hate blue. I'm running blue right you, now. You should start to hate blue. That way you trade me all your blue cards, and I can trade you all of whatever color you well, want. Well, I'm hoping I can pick up a Jace Mind Sculptor because you're going to trade it, trade uh, yeah, me I'm my gonna... Common Uncommon set for one, yeah. which I, I just need a Common I, I need a common uncommon set more than I need one card. So Fair it's enough. like I will trade one card for 400 cards that aren't like that not, where none and of like them are yeah, going yeah. to be like excess any day of the week. Yeah, that works, and it works for me because I'll just have extra cards. You know, I have buying a case is getting a lot of cards, a lot of. I don't need thirty-four Halimar excavators or 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 like twenty uh, razor boomerangs. Yeah, seriously. Um, so um, you don't need one of those, let alone twenty. Yeah, maybe I won't open any. That would be interesting. Um, real quick, I'm gonna really. I have honorable mentions. I'm just gonna read the list rather not rather than talk about. Okay. Them. Goliath Sphinx. It's a Sphinx, and I love the artwork. The card sucks, but I really like the artwork. It's Greg Staples. He's one of my favorites. Um, Tectonic Edge, which is kind of a strip mine for non-basic lands. Um, I think it's that's a wasteland kind of, that oh, has yeah. a drawback. Yeah, it's a wasteland with kind of a drawback. It's, uh, you know, check it out. It's, I think it's going to be a big factor with all the non-basics running around. And so is Goblin Ruin Blaster from Zendikar. His value just shot through the roof. Um, Core Firewalker, I just think it's neat. I want to use it in my own red deck just to gain life off of it every time I play a red spell. Um, Bestial Menace, awesome. Chain Reaction, Red Wrath. Calestria Highborn, I just think it's a neat card for vampires. Urge to Feed, which is a great removal spell that I just want to use with Malakir Blood Witch, because uh, why not, even if that's the only vampire I have in the deck. Um, Abyssal Persecutor, which is a you know the reverse Platinum Angel that um, I think is really neat, but I don't think it's worth the $30 it's going for right now. And Smother, which I just can't wait to get back. You know, I, I kind of can't wait to see the artwork for it. So now on to Joe's list. 
All right, so now we're going to go into my list, and I have a few of the same cards as Joe's, so when we get to those cards, we're just going to kind of skip over them because I think we've discussed them enough, or I might just say one or two things. I don't know. So anyway, uh, my number 10 is um, Eye of Eugen. Um, it's a legendary land. Colorless Eldrazi spells cost two less to cast. Seven and tap. Search your library for a colorless creature card, reveal it, and put it into your hand, then shuffle your library. It's a mythic rare. Um, the reason why this is on my list is, well, first of all, because it mentions Eldrazi spells, which is just a little exciting because we're getting to that point where we're about to start seeing what this is all about. So it, it's just kind of for a flavor, from a flavor standpoint purely, is that it's exciting, it's a hint of what's to come. And also, after staring at it all night while I was like typing up little show notes here and there as I thought of them, I just kept thinking of all the different dirty ways you can pronounce it and all the dirty implications like Eye of Eugene, which are you talking about, Eugene? Um, like Eye of Uggen. Like you can you can really mention it a lot of different ways that sound dirty. So I, I I'm just gonna keep thinking of different ways to pronounce that card um, in a punny way. Right, um, real quick, I I just wanted to say I think it's neat. I was thinking about this yesterday or something about uh how wizards doesn't seem to be afraid to kind of do the future sight thing, just in small samples. Like I think it's neat that they they're kind of showing us the future. You know, or showing us, kind of giving us a, a preview of what's to come. And, yeah, like a teaser, exactly. So here we have something that really is irrelevant to us entirely. It can't search up Eldrazi Monument. But even Eldrazi Monument was another thing that was kind of like, what is this? There's, what is this Eldrazi kind of thing? And that kind of, you know, gave us a little taste of what is to come. A and then taste this is of doing the Eye again. of Eugene. Yeah, a taste of the Eye of Eugene. Ugh. So anyway, I just think it's really neat that they're willing to kind of use a slot of, uh, you know, a card slot out of, out of their set to kind of tease us. They crammed the Eye of Eugene into a slot. Exactly. So go ahead, go with your number nine. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you know, actually, original. I just want to say, originally at number nine, I had the Walking Archive because I thought that it was actually a colorless creature right. that wasn't an artifact, but then, you know, I'm glad I took it off there after painstaking studying of this list and revisions um, that I took it off there, but it actually was a misprint, so I'm glad I don't look stupid right now. My number nine is Searing Blaze. Searing Blaze is red-red. It is an instant. Searing Blaze deals one damage to target player and one damage to target creature that player controls. Landfall. If you had a land enter the battlefield under your control this turn, sealing, searing bl blaze. <laughs> Say <laughs> that three times fast. Sealing blaze. Sealing blaze. Reminds me of the unhinged card toy boat. But um, <laughs> it's cumulative upkeep. Say toy boat fast. <laughs> um. So anyway, uh, <laughs> if you had a land enter the battlefield under your control this turn, searing blaze deals three damage to that player and three damage to that creature instead. Um, I had Lash Out in my Elemental deck, um, which is worse than this card. Um, a little more mana intensive, but you're probably going to run it in a mostly red deck anyway. Um, I think it's a fantastic card. It's just some nasty damage. It, it, you know, it's just a little bonus. It's like putting Lava Spike and Lightning Bolt on the same card. Kind of, yeah. Which is... Just great. I'll take I'll two take... lightning bolts on the same card, but you have to split it down. Right, exactly. <laughs> so I'll take I'll take that any day of the week because I mean there are extended decks running both of those cards as four ofs right now. Mm -hmm. So it's like excellent. 
So then moving on, I've got Marshall's Anthem. Marshall's Anthem. Marshall Mathers. Marshall Mathers, the fun and games are over, and just for that stunt, you're going to get some extra homework. No, um, it's two white white. It's an enchantment with... Mul- <laughs> it's white? <laughs> Marshall's Anthem is white? Marshall's Anthem is two white white. That's right. He's two white white. He's <laughs> two white. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> Go ahead. Bad, is, bad pun. It is really bad. Okay, this is the bad puns ahoy. Um, I guess n- finally my line in my rap about talking bad puns is coming to fruition. Yeah, there you go. Uh, multi-kicker, one and a white. Creatures you control get plus one, plus one. When Marshall's Anthem enters the battlefield, return up to X target creature cards from your graveyard to the battlefield, where X is equal to the number of times Marshall's Anthem was kicked. I think it's fantastic. I mean, first, I mean, just think of the different cards you can use with this card. Captain of the Watch. I mean, you're breaking even on paying Captain of the Watch's casting cost anyway, and instead you're getting three three tokens. I think that's fantastic. You drop a Baneslayer on turn five. Someone terminates it on their turn. You bring it back for one more mana, and it's a Mm 6-6. I mean, I just think that this card, I mean, Iona... Think about, like, you know, their white-blue decks running Iona right now, and they're hard-casting it. Right, it's really interesting to see, like, how white is putting creatures from the graveyard into play. Resurrection like, was the last time right, that happened. Right, and then we have, like, Amiria now, and now uh, Marshall Mathers, Marshall's Anthem. Marshall Mathers. Uh, I'm going to think of that every time, my number every time I see that name. My number seven is Quest for the Nihil Stone. It's black enchantment. Whenever an opponent discards a card, you may put a quest counter on Quest for the Nihil Stone. At the beginning of each opponent's upkeep, if that player has no cards in hand and Quest for the Nihil Stone has two or more quest counters on it, you may have that player lose five life. I like this card because things like Howling Mine and things like Font of Mythos don't activate until the draw step. So if you have an opponent with an empty hand, and speaking of which, with the lack of really decent instant speed card draw um, that exists, it's a little more effective because there's not too many ways for them to prevent it from happening. I also noticed I'm playing a Grixis control deck once again, and I've noticed a lot, even playing against other control decks with divinations and things like that, I've been playing against opponents with empty hands. Like, I've got a Sidraxis Spectre out, and they've got an empty hand. The next turn they draw a card, they want to lose that card because they know they're going to lose it to Sidraxis Spectre. So I feel like having one of these on the board would really put somebody in a tight situation where they're like, I don't, you know, like, if they're holding back a counterspell, I've got main deck duress. So I'm just, like, duressing the one card, like, to protect my cruel ultimatums in a control mirror is what I've been doing, is I've been, right. like, duress, let me see if you've got a counterspell. Okay, you don't, I'm going to play my cruel. I just feel like this is a good, I don't know where it fits in my deck or if it will, but I like the applications, and you know how I am about, like, building decks around certain cards. Um, speaking of which, my original number six, because I didn't read the card right, was Dead Reckoning. Because I thought that it dealt damage to target creature or player, and I just was having wet dreams about um, playing that with Death Shadow, um, oh, well, because yeah. Death Shadow is a thirteen thirteen in the graveyard or on top of your library. Right. It only gets the minus X minus X while it's in play. So I was like, Christ Almighty, are you serious that for three mana I can deal thirteen damage to somebody? And then I realized it was only creatures, so it was a lot less cool. Yeah, <laughs> but still pretty cool, though. It's a, neat, it's a neat interaction. I mean, just remember that Death Shadow is a 13-13 when it's anywhere else except for in play. 
just a little something that you might not think of or might think of. Or now that should be Mythic Rare instead of Comet Storm. Cause Agreed. How, you know, how often do you see a one mana 13-13? Never. You never like, you have. Know, right, but you know what I mean. Anything like yeah. a Phyrexian Dreadnought was the last time we've seen something. And if there were Mythic similar. Rares, that would have been a Mythic Rare back I, then. I think it would have. I mean, so why is Death's Shadow not Mythic and Comet Storm is? I don't know, but go ahead. I don't know. Uh, because Dead Reckoning doesn't act as I thought it did, neither Dead Reckoning nor Death's Shadow are on my list. Number six is Amulet of Vigor, which we have discussed in detail. My number five is Explore, which we have also ex discussed. We've explored it. We've explored that one thoroughly. I do love it. Um, it's making me want to start playing green again. Um, not like green was bad before, but just for some reason I've just been like not running green for a while. So it kind of makes me want to start reconsidering that and... Not to mention the fact that I want to run Scape Shift and Extended, so it kind of fits right in there. Number four for me is, and this was a tough one, uh, Kazul, Tyrant of the Cliffs, which is a three... I had him on my short list a little bit, but... Uh, yeah. uh, he's three red-red. He's a legendary creature, ogre warrior, power and toughness 5-4. Whenever a creature under an opponent's control attacks you, put a 3-3 three, three red ogre creature token onto the battlefield unless that creature's controller pays three. So I feel like, in a way, it's like a ghostly prison. Mm -hmm. In a way, it's not a bad body for a five-mana right. cost creature. And you get these 3-3 three, three ogres. If they're playing something like some sort of white weenie deck, that's going to shut them down almost entirely because a lot of those creatures are going to die to the ogres, and then you have the ogres to attack with next turn. And the other thing, and they mentioned this on uh, Monday Night Magic, which is kind of where I... Um, started when I started really thinking about this card a little more seriously is that when you know a red deck strategy is swing 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 kill kill you know you don't want to really hold back this card enables that strategy by giving you blockers whenever an opponent tries to swing back at you you know so I feel like it's just a really powerful card um I like it I like and and um just like Tom said you know, I don't know. I, I disagree. I think that 3-3 three, three Ogres sounds right. He was saying that, you know, 3-3 three, three tokens have generally been beasts, mm -hmm. which is a fair point. But I feel like 3-3 three, three for an Ogre is perfectly flavorful. Although this card does kind of step all over lots of other colors' flavor. It kind of steps on green if you right. want to go yeah. with the 3-3 three, three beasts, you know, as a comparison point. Right. Um, and it also steps on white a little bit with the Ghostly making them Prison. pay mana to attack, right. essentially. Because um, if they don't want to have you know have to deal with the three three ogres, they have to pay three, um, which is a lot to have to pay to attack. I mean, mm -hmm. Ghostly Prison was only two, right? I think so. I yeah. So, so I mean, like that's I just feel like it's a really powerful card. Um, it, and it, I mean, it doesn't die to bolt. So I mean, like. I don't know, there's just, I, I feel like it, it's interesting, and I, and I feel like I'm going to find some way to use that card. Right, it'll be fun to play with, that's all. Even if it's not in, like, some huge game-breaking deck, it, it seems like a great uh, general for EDH or something like that. Just oh, play, man, yeah. mono-red and, like, or, I, I don't know, just play them in the deck, you know, you can play it like a... You could have like a white red strategy and totally ghostly prison EDH deck or something like something that. Something mean like I don't that. Know. Um, my number three is chain reaction, two red red sorcery. Chain reaction deals X damage to each creature, where X is the number of creatures on the battlefield. I feel like this card is cool if you're playing something stupid like a 
mono red goblins deck or any sort of like weenie strategy and you need a good board sweep because they've suddenly dropped like a bane slayer or something mm -hmm. um like so so say your opponent only does have one creature on their side of the battlefield you can drop a bunch of creatures and sweep the board thanks to you know if you need to sweep the board i just feel like there's other ways i think it's neat but i don't know if it's for that reason that sounds like <laughs> terrible like you have a bane slayer I'll just drop a whole bunch of creatures so I can kill it with chain reaction. Well, I mean, I'll kill I mean, all my creatures. You know what I mean. Like, you know like, what you want to play is play white red and play this with um, core firewalker, and then you know he counts towards the creature count but doesn't die. Well, that was the other right, thing right. I was thinking was 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 core firewalker. Honestly, yeah. I mean it's a great. It's I think this is an awesome card. I just thought that was a funny way to, well, my to point talk. Is, my point, point is why it's good. My point. Well, well, you were saying what what you were saying in our last podcast was if your opponent only has a Bane Slayer. I'm not saying drop a bunch of creatures to kill one creature. Right, right, but if but you're in a situation... If you're in a situation like that, you know, there are other ways to deal more damage other than just relying on how many creatures your opponent has on the battlefield. Yeah, yeah, okay. I feel like this card's going to be most strong against Jund, frankly, because by the time they get to their Broodmate Dragon, they're going to probably have a Bloodbraid Elf, a Sprouting Thrynex, or three Sprouting Thrynex tokens... And or a putrid leech on the you board. Bolt their bolt their Thrynex token at the end of your turn or end of their turn, and then now they've got five. Th three instead of one. Green, right. You know what I mean? Bolt it, and then now you've just increased the damage. Right. So, so, so like yeah, exactly. They play a broodmate dragon. Even if they had just have Thrynex on the board, you can you can react to or you can respond to them playing the broodmate. By bolting uh, yeah. the Thrynex. I don't mean respond as put in the I, stack, but right. you know your uh, your answer to their broodmate would be to. Bolt the um, bolt the Thrynax. Now they've got five creatures on the board, and now your turn, you pay, pay uh, four for chain reaction and kill everything. Right. You know, all of their stuff, and that's if you have no creatures. I mean, overall, I just think it's a really strong card. Yeah, I wonder if they'll stop playing Thrynax if there's if that gets a lot of play because of that exact thing. That's two more damage, mm -hmm. you know, just from a dead Thrynax. Right. But just just an idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, Treasure Hunt is my number two, same same on your list as it was on mine, and uh, for reasons that we've already um, explained. I also like any word, any card with the word hunt in it. Master of the Wild Hunt, you know, you should trim that thing a little. Uh, maybe Brazilian Wax. Uh, my number one card is Bestial Menace. Um, so is it Bestial or Bestial? I, I, or is it both? Could you say it both? Bestial, Bestial Menace okay. is the best. Bestial is the best. Deal. Bestial is the best deal card I can think of, and, and, and I just want to clarify that. Okay, like first let me explain what it does. It's three green, green sorcery. Put a one, one green snake creature token, a two, two green wolf creature token, and a three, three green elephant creature token onto the battlefield. These creatures gain. We're freaking cool. So I don't think that part's on there. Either. It is. It is. Trust me. I'll write it on there. Um. Chillin' in the cut. That is the greatest card. Jungle homies. They are chillin' on the card. The artwork is beautiful. I say, I say beautiful because I think it's just so ridiculous. Um, I've explained this. We talked about this for seven minutes on the last podcast, so I'm not going to go on and on about it. But I feel like I did say a lot about how funny I thought the card was without explaining that I actually think it's a good card, too. They were they were mentioning this on, on the Top 8 Magic podcast. It's kind of like or was it on the Top 8 Magic podcast? It's kind of like the new Cloud Goat Ranger. Maybe that was on Monday Night Magic. I don't know. I'm a little confused. I've actually been listening to more podcasts than just Top 8 Magic lately. 
So I'm a little confused as to where I'm hearing things from. For a while there, like, I was pretty much listening to Top 8 Magic exclusively. But now, I actually recently, I've just felt like downloading a bunch of episodes and catching up on some of the podcasts that I hadn't listened to before. And by the way, anybody who didn't realize, um, Deck Builder Radio, uh, which was one of my favorite podcasts, um, Brian Greer, which is one of the hosts of that podcast actually moved from Idaho to California so sounds like an upgrade yeah exactly but uh, <laughs> so it sounds like uh, what's going to happen is either they're going to be breaking into two podcasts Stan and Pedro that's what I was just going to mention already there's an episode of uh, get your get your MTG get and, your dot 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 yeah well it says get your dot 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 MTG podcast so I don't know what it's going to be called I think it's just called get your okay or it could just be get could you be G that's it Anyway, so there's an episode of that available on the MTG Cast Network, and uh, you know it, it just continues where Deck Builders left off. So and not to mention I, I like that it. Deck Builders is back. And Deck Builders has released an episode with a World Wake spoiler. Um, so hopefully Brian will continue releasing more episodes. Cause right. I enjoyed, uh, you know, all of those guys. Yeah. No, I, I definitely did like. I remember uh, liking it because like once I I just I hadn't listened to other podcasts in so long that I kind of forgot which podcasts I liked. Mm-hmm. Once I hit play on Deck Builder Radio and the music started, I was bobbing my head. I'm like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah here like we go. One. Here we go. And I was like, yeah, okay, that's right. This is the one I really liked. So that was cool. I also just listened to Avant Card Show for the very first time. And they've got some potty mouths on them, and I love it. <laughs> I, I, I sent them a comment. I sent them, like, an email or something. I was like, you know, I'm an adult who can handle adult language and who feels like, you know, since we're all adults and we all play magic, I feel like there's no real crime in, like, swearing once in a while or occasionally excessively where the situation calls for it or even doesn't call for it. I mean, it gives a crap. I, I don't know. I personally like that kind of stuff. So to hear a podcast that without a filter was just refreshing for me. And I, I really enjoyed them. I thought they were funny. Of course, I, I also tend to like the more like funny, like casual podcasts. I, mean, I love I love the Manipool. I actually just listened to them again for the first time. It, it, you have to really make a commitment to listening to them because all their episodes are like two hours, much like our most recent couple of episodes. That's okay. But anyway, I, I enjoy those, and it was it was good to like get caught back up on some podcasts here. The Judge Cast with Riki and uh, the other Sean. Is that Sean, I hope. Yeah. That was a good one. That was the first episode of that they just posted, and it was really good. Um, so if you get a chance to listen to that, it had some really interesting information going into more detail about that disqualification at the uh, Legacy event yeah. that we were talking about in brief. Right. Um, or, or, or at least, like, you know, we touched on because we didn't really have the details, but they knew exactly what had happened, and they explained it. So I just thought that was a really good podcast. Yeah. Um, I think it's going to be even I think it's going to be really valuable to hear the perspective of judges because we don't hear that very often and I I think that judge stories actually tend to be very interesting and and kind of informative because for instance neither of us realized that you had to announce any mana floating in your pool uh, when you pass priority. priority not that really there I, I can't ever think of an instance where I did that but it's still something that I learned so I think that's really interesting. Um, two podcasts I want to mention, if I haven't mentioned them before, is In Contention, which is Sam Stoddard's podcast. And um, has he been posting blogs? No, I haven't seen. Because I, he I he made like like some awesome blog posts, posts that I read from him were like some of the 
best blog posts I may have ever read outside yeah, of like really some of the good. ones I usually read. But I, I haven't seen anything on my Google Reader for a no. long time. So that's cool. I have not listened to that podcast yet. Um, I it's will. Um, but I really loved his blog, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm kind of, if he listens to us, let's like hope that he gets motivated to write another blog entry or something. Yeah. Is he writing for any websites or anything? Like Not that I know of. All I know is I see him on Twitter and I right. hear in contention. Maybe he's gone from blogging to podcasting instead. I know, actually, for me, I have trouble thinking of things to blog about a lot of times because now I'm podcasting. Not that I wasn't doing both before anyway, but I feel like I was uh, – I just feel like my magic – topics in my head all come out in the podcast and uh, I then I have you know I'm kind of drawing a blank when I'm trying to think of something to blog about but another podcast I wanted to mention was Draw Go Radio it's a new one um, they've been around for I think they've got maybe 10 episodes roughly but they just joined MTG cast um, a few episodes ago in fact they might have like 13 or 14 episodes now something like that but they're a very like professionally done podcast I think they kind of they just started, but they kind of went all in on it, and it's really good. And um, I tend to like the very competitive-oriented podcasts. I want to hear, you know, um, about Standard, and I don't really want to hear about EDH and things like that. I just don't care for it that much. But um, just, you know, my preferences. So for competitive players, I think Top 8 Magic, In Contention, Draw Go Radio, Deck Builders, and now Get Your dot, 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 MTG, whatever you want to call the podcast, uh, whatever it is actually called. Um, those are some that I really like. In fact, on um, Get Your MTG Podcast Episode 1, they mentioned that nobody had a competitive podcast on the MTG Cast Network, and I kind of felt like, well, ours isn't there isn't super competitive, but we're more, we talk more about standard than anything else. And then, of course, like I just said, in contention and... Drago Radio are both competitive podcasts, so I kind of was like, you know, look, did you listen to all those podcasts? Because I can name at least two and a half, if you count ours, that are, <laughs> that are kind of more competitive. Now, I understand we're not like pro tour players or anything, but it is the topic of our podcast it tends to be very like more more competitive or at least more standard than uh than casual or anything like that. Although I do have to say, I think I'm going to play in my first PTQ um, February 20th. Cool. Uh, it's the day after my birthday, yeah. and uh, I feel like playing in a PTQ. It's extended. I don't think I've ever played extended in a tournament ever. So yeah, yeah it could be a disaster. We'll, 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 it'll be fun. It'll be fun. And that's the point of this game. Right. I, I'm looking at a few things that I like. I'm considering going cheap if I have to with like a mono red deck or um I think that's good for exactly what they were saying on get your episode one right did you hear I think so yeah yeah going cheap on that or if I can borrow some goifs I might go for something a little different we'll see uh we'll see what comes out of that but I'm definitely planning on playing in my first PTQ and I'm a little excited I'm a little nervous uh not too nervous because you can't really be um, but I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to like getting myself into that sort of environment and trying, and I've been talking about getting into right. that environment for a long time. It just hasn't actually happened yet. Right. Right. Um, just because Rockville's kind of far and, um, I usually need to find another interested party to right. go down there with me. But I think that, uh, me and Lloyd are going to try to assemble like some sort That's of cool. little crew to go down there and, uh, and try to qualify for uh, pro tour San Juan. So neat could be funny. Aren't you playing in a PTQ? Uh, no, it's a GP trial. 
Okay, oh, okay. on the Magic Cruise is a GP trial. And and that's a trial for... Uh, you get a... I, I don't think it's for a specific. Round, you get okay. a three-round buy. And I so think you can use that GP, in DC right? if you... Yeah, exactly. It's so. not bad. That's the plan. But um, you want to... About ready to wrap it up. I have some breaking news before we Ooh. leave. It's not good news, but uh, the Star City Games pre-release in Richmond has been canceled due to winter storm warnings. So anybody oh. who is planning to go to Richmond's Saturday pre-release... I, I assume it's the Saturday pre-release and not... Both. I don't know if they're even having to. I don't go to Star City Games. They're four and a half hours away from here. Right. But, uh, but I would love to. But yeah, uh, I guess anybody who was planning on going to Star City for the pre-release, um, keep uh, keep an eye on that or like check Star City Games. It's not on their website right now. Brian David Marshall, who was the guest gunslinger at the event, just tweeted it. So apparently they told him first before he flies there, I suppose, because right. last, I think he's in Seattle right now, he played in the Wizards uh, employee pre-release. So, um, just like yesterday or something, so I think he's still in Seattle, but he's from New York, and so, anyway, I guess they were trying to let him Give know, him heads up, don't, yeah. don't, don't go to Virginia. So, um, and anybody on the East Coast, or I guess anywhere that the weather could be a factor, kind of uh, be sure to keep... Keep yourself aware of the situation. Like, make sure you go to the website of whatever tournament organizer is hosting your pre-release, so that you don't end up traveling through the snow to a pre-release that isn't happening. What I heard, okay, and just just to clarify for people who might be going to the Rockville pre-release, mm -hmm. last I heard, that um, in Maryland or at least in Baltimore, they're only calling for like a 40% chance of light snow at some point on Saturday. So it's not supposed to be too bad here. Four and a half hours south of here, I'm sure, is a different story. Um, mm -hmm. So that's why I'm sure they acted accordingly. But I don't see that happening to the Rockville pre-release. So if you're in the Richmond area and you want to come to a good pre-release that isn't canceled, travel up north to the University of Maryland Shady Grove and experience the pre-release with me in a stupid pink shirt. So that's, I think, about it. Also, uh, and I'm just, I just saw another tweet by Adam Stiborski, uh, who writes Serious Fun, who is local to this area. He will be at the Dream Wizards pre-release, I believe. I mean, he just tweeted, is anybody going to this pre-release? So I assume he wants to know because he's going to be there. So I don't know if he's going to the Saturday or the Sunday. I'm, I'm sorry. He mentioned specifically the Saturday one. So the Saturday pre-release at universities at Shady Grove in Rockville, Maryland, will have the, the writer of Serious Fun. Uh, from the magicgathering.com. Um, I don't know that he's like any special guest or anything like that, but he will be there. So if you know what he looks like, you can talk to him. Or if you happen to be playing against somebody named Adam Staborski, you can say, hey, I know who you are. That's pretty um, awesome. I'll be I, looking out for him. Hopefully he'll be at the Sunday one, too. He says he plays at Dream, Dream Wizard, so it would be neat to actually meet him. I won't be able to make the Saturday event, but um, as we mentioned. But... Okay, so uh, lastly, I think, uh, we received an email from Chris McNutt, who sent us uh, like a price data spreadsheet that he does, um, and I, I just wanted to say thanks to him, you know, kind of publicly. I wanted to mention it uh, on the podcast. It's a really, really neat and detailed, and I'm sure it takes a lot of work, uh, basically detailing all the prices and the fluctuations and comparisons between cards. Um, it's... It was very impressive. I, I was going to say it's pretty impressive, but it's way more than pretty impressive. <laughs> it's really impressive. It's insanely cool. Yeah. So I don't even know how to do that. Like, I definitely have used Excel plenty of times, but I've never done anything that um, 
that, I guess, complex. So uh, if anybody else has very interesting ways of keeping track of prices, um, let us know. I, I always think those kind of things are interesting. They're really uh, fun to kind of look at and examine. But yeah, thanks, Chris, for sending us that because it's really neat. So one more time, um, our contact info, you can email us at yomtgtaps at gmail.com. You can check us out on Twitter at uh, twitter.com slash yomtgtaps. You can check out our uh, blogs um, at mine is otherworldlyjourney.blogspot.com and Joe's is affinityforislands.com. You can hit up our voicemail line at 331-MTG-TAPS. Uh, you can uh, check us out on Facebook, which is our Facebook group. Is you type in uh, Yo MTG Taps. <laughs> Sorry, I missed that one. It's Facebook. It screwed me up. <laughs> um, so you can check us out on the Facebook group and add us on there as a become a fan of us. Um, YouTube.com/slash Yo MTG Taps. And uh, that's about it. Stay tuned for our. Um, our video podcast from the pre-release, which will be released as soon as the release of the pre happens. So, um, uh, I think that's it for now. Anything you want to add? No, thanks for listening. We appreciate it. We always appreciate feedback. So keep leaving comments. Definitely. And, uh, sorry for blowing out your eardrums last week. Bye. One hour less. Of where we must begin